So, retrospectors, what historical events are we ticking off on this week's run of Today in History? Well, on Tuesday, we head to the battlefields of medieval Spain to witness the very first ambulance. On Wednesday, it's the anniversary of the day Coca-Cola's creator hit on his winning formula. He dropped the wine, but kept the cocaine. On Thursday, the thief who stuffed the crown jewels down his trousers. And on Friday, when free-spirited Danish parenting put 90s New York in a tears. We discuss this and more on Today in History with the Retrospectors. Ten minutes every weekday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, Man fans. Ollie Man here with The Modern Man. And hello, Mikey, our disputed ambassador in Dubai. I was slightly anxious that this email might arrive. He says, Ollie, I felt compelled to email you immediately after last week's podcast. I need to address the vile personal attack by some girl called Bethany who brought my support and love for your show into question. Whilst it was an honour to be appointed ambassador for Dubai, I never actually asked for the title. You offered me that blessing without me having to beg for it. Bethany clearly has some personal issues right now, so I offer to step down as ambassador of Dubai with immediate effect. Perhaps ambassador of the entire UAE would have been more appropriate anyway. Wow. Just when you thought Middle Eastern politics couldn't get any more fraud. Uh, look, Mikey, Bethany, you're both ambassadors. You're both joint ambassadors. Let that be an end to it. You're both solid gold man fans. I love you both equally. Um, quick bit of news before this week's show about Kwaku Adaboli. Do you remember him? The so-called UBS rogue trader who was jailed for fraud. Uh, an update about him. He is, as we discussed in his episode, technically... Ghanaian, but he's not actually lived in Ghana since he was four years old. Um, He's basically British, yet thanks to our government's hostile environment policy, he's been facing deportation to Ghana uh, because he committed a crime. And the latest is he has lost his appeal to block his deportation and there is now a very real chance he could be deported. Um, Thanks to a lot of frantic work by his lawyers and his MPs, uh, he has for now been granted another temporary reprieve. But there is nothing in writing saying that he can stay in this country that's been his home for 26 years. So his friends are still fighting for that. They're raising money for more legal support. Um, If you're inclined to donate to this kind of thing, there is a crowdfunding page. I'll link to it in the blog post for this episode at modernman.co.uk. Or if you're on Twitter, uh, follow the hashtag KeepQuaku. And if you're thinking, Ollie, why should I care about the fate of a fraudster who broke the law, uh, just listen to the episode. Uh, it's called The Two Billion Dollar Man, season seven, episode one in our podcast feed. We've done a lot of great interviews on this show, but out of all of them, it's one of the ones I'm most proud of. Just listen to it and you will see how a young man working in the international banking system found himself in a willfully blind ethical black hole and since serving his time in jail has been giving talks and interviews in the UK, in the US, countries he'd be banned from if he was deported. He's trying to change for better the system that was the context for his crime. He's not a threat to anyone. He's helping people understand corporate responsibility. Um, In my mind, he is a benefit to our country. Um, Now, this week's middle feature will divide people too. Uh, You may conclude that it's an inspiring conversation with an erudite young woman about body confidence, or you may think, yuck, I really didn't want to hear that much detail about anyone's stoma bag. Um, I guess in either case, I should offer in advance a health warning. This week's show, uh, after the zeitgeist and the life hack features, becomes quite vivid. If you are sensitive to medical details, or if you're eating, uh, you may want to give this week's middle feature a miss, or indeed this week's foxhole, which is about type 4 skins. Uh, But as ever, I firmly believe if you stick with the show, if you trust us to take you to interesting new places, you will find much to enjoy in this episode, uh, in which you will learn... Why you want your sommelier to have attended Plumpton College, you'll learn the difference between balinitis and phimosis, and you'll learn why crotchless underwear should be available in every hospital bowel unit. Let's go. On this week's Modern Man... I love talking about taboo topics. It's just like sex and poo (laughs) is my thing now, apparently. Hashtags, photo shoots and viral videos. The thoroughly modern way to remove your colon. Use as a kind of little poker to insert a balloon. And Alex Fox helps an uncircumcised man out of a tight spot. 
But first, it's time to talk trends. It's the Zeitgeist with a man who it strikes me now for the first time in knowing him for over three years has actually excellently manicured nails. I just bite them like everyone else, right? It's Ollie Peart and his shiny pinkies. Hi, Ollie. This time last week, man fan Trish set you the challenge of going to drink some English wine. This is arguably the easiest trend we've ever set you. It wasn't easy. Really? Uh, to find a vineyard first. Thanks Who to Trish. Who said anything about a vineyard? Why couldn't you just go to Sainsbury's? What's the point in finding out about English wine and not going to a vineyard? What am I going to learn from Sainsbury's? Where did you go? So it turns out there's a vineyard 10 minutes from my house called Langham's Estate. It was a beautiful sunny day and I felt like I was in France. It was stunning. And the Langham's Estate, it's a farm. It's a huge, huge farm. About 10 years ago, they decided to diversify a little bit and make some wine. And the reason they did that is because the type of soil there, which is like a chalk-based soil, is similar to that of of Champagne. So they had a, a French guy come over and go... Uh, yeah. <laughs> no, not for a second week running. You're not doing French accents again. No, I will not allow it. Just do what he said in okay, an English right. accent. Okay, so this French guy who was yeah. born and raised in Slough came along yeah. and he said, yeah, your soil's perfect. You can grow, grow grapes here. You can have a vineyard here. So they created a 300 hectare vineyard. Can you really? Because the climate here is not the same as in Champagne. And no. that seems to be the crucial... That's why we haven't had English wine, isn't it, as a mainstream product for the last seven decades? Why suddenly is this a thing? Well, the French wine market was driven largely by the boom after the Second World War. So in the Second World War, they invested a huge amount of money in the wine market, basically getting it out to international markets. And it expanded like tenfold. So they were selling like a billion dollars worth of wine just after the Second World War, which was 10 times they were before. And it just had this this heritage was, that was there. The problem in the UK isn't that the quality of the growing of the soil. It's been education, people knowing how to produce wine properly. Mm. They already have that in France because they've invested in it and uh, the chateaus and the vineyards have invested huge amounts of money in educating people. So the knowledge is already there. But in the UK, the best place to learn, and this is where it has changed, there's now proper winemaking courses that you can do and all of the decent vineyards in the UK will have somebody there that is educated at Plumpton College. Oh well, good fact. Plumpton trained and if they're Plumpton trained they probably know what they're talking about. It's a proper science. This chap was a microbiologist uh-huh. by trade. He, he, he's he got smarts right? so he knew what he was doing and he was applying that to winemaking and when I went into the facility where they, they bottled all of the wine it, it's like going into a very cold lab. Describe the scene then. Because I'm imagining just big barrels of things maturing. Is it not like that? There is a room with that. So they have a barn where the yeast occurs naturally in the wood of the building. How disgusting. The pores are in the air, right? This is where my knowledge falls down. You're not a microbiologist. No. And dare I confess to our listeners, neither am I. Yeah, like, I think the science is, yeah, it drips down, crawls in... Gets into the wine. <laughs> and then they pump it through to the bottling room, and that's where it looks like a proper lab. We're in what looks like a rustic barn from the outside. Mm. We go inside, it's a ginormous fridge with all kinds of gizmos around. Okay. This vineyard bottles around 40,000 bottles a year. And on one day a year, they do the harvest. And this year, it's the 21st of September. And because of all the hot weather we've been having, they reckon that they might double the amount of wine that they've been able to produce. But Trish set this challenge because it's true, you keep reading all this stuff about English wine. It's got a lot more traction, people are talking about it, but I don't often see it for sale. People are still suspicious that it's good because they're not exposed to it. Why do you think that is? It's not just about the number of bottles, it's like when you go to a posh restaurant, they rarely offer you English wine. Do you think it's got a bit of a stigma? Well, possibly. Like The the, the Langham Estate do fizzy wine and the reason they do fizzy wine is to is because to get still wine of any quality in the uk is really difficult it's really hard to do so they, they, those types of Why? wine Why? it's hard to get right because of our climate and it means that those bottles tend to be really expensive so it becomes unfeasible for a vineyard to produce a still wine there are vineyards that produce still wine but then it's like well why why would i pay 25 quid for an English bottle of wine when a 5 quid French bottle is slightly better. But with the fizzy wines, it's different. Now, you've got a bottle there. Mm -hmm. That's the English sparkling wine from the estate you went to, is it? This is from the estate. This is a classic cuvee. I have tried this already. 2014. Okay. Can we taste it, please? Yes. This foil, by the way. Little fact for champagne lovers out there. Yeah. The reason it's on there is to disguise the fact that the bottle wasn't full enough. 
not on that particular estate bottle, but that you're telling me the reason that foil on champagne bottles exists at all is because the bottle isn't full enough. Yeah. But that is in, a good fact. It is a good fact. Yeah, back in the day, that's the reason. And actually, this estate Look at year, you. Every week's a lesson with you now, isn't <laughs> it? Now you, you now you just have a single topic and you do your research. It's only taken three years, Ollie. Yeah. Here we are. Um, but they're going to, next year, for some reason, they're going to... The, and this is a trend. Mm-hmm. And you will see this on champagne bottles. You will see the foil neck size decrease. Mm. Here we go. I've bought it in in my backpack. I'm worried it's going to explode everywhere. Now I do have... The tension is unbearable. Is it going to be an explosive... Oh! There we go. Nice. Oh, look, you see... An uneducated man. First thing they taught me at Oxford University, Ollie, was uh, you put in a little drip first with the glass angled diagonally, then you fill up the second glass, then you come back to top it up because the fizz negates the extra volume the only university where they drink champagne in lectures here you go it was sherry actually thank you <laughs> it really was you thinking of this? <laughs> no, I, why do we not talk about this i shit? had a lecturer who gave us free sherry at every class as a way of getting us to go hmm do you mean hmm it's very nice yes I don't know if it's supposed to taste like champagne. It's probably a different grape variety or whatever, isn't it? Well, what It's they, a bit drier. Yes, they don't add anyway near as much sugar. So one of the things mm. that they want, to, they want to try and reduce the amount of sugar that's in there. Yeah, that is what it tastes like it's missing. Yes. But not necessarily in a bad way. No. It is just more savoury, yeah. Well, I prefer mine drier. So I really, really like it. But yeah, yes, I quite like it. You have noticed it. Oh, you've got quite the palate on you. Do you want to have a guess at the price? So champagne, I'd put at average £30 a bottle. Prosecco, average £9 a bottle, something like that. Mm-hmm. So I'd say this is probably half, it should be halfway between a Prosecco and a champagne. So I'm going to say it should be 20 but I bet it's 26 So this is the Langham Classic oh, Cuvée no, 2014, it? and it is yeah. £25. Oh, OK, right, fine. Well, that's, yeah. So you're a pretty good guess. It's roughly where it should be. Yeah. What's the other bottle you've brought here? Ah, right, yeah. So I found out about natural wine. Yeah, it is another trend, isn't it? It's kind of making... It's the same as the organic food movement, basically, isn't it? But for alcohol. It is literally in its most simplistic form. You take some grapes, you mash them up, and then you leave them to ferment. And then that's it. That's your wine. A few Michelin-star restaurants have adopted certain natural wines to complement their dishes. Mm -hmm. So Noma in Copenhagen... They had a dish where, which featured a razor clam from the North Sea and it was raw and all this kind of stuff. And to complement it, they bought in a natural wine, which was eight quid, which when you're paying 300 quid for a meal... Yeah, it turns it all on its head, doesn't weird. it? Yeah. And the wine itself is like quite sour and it's inconsistent and people are a bit like, well, that's weird. And ever since then, there's been more vineyards experimenting with natural wines. And it's just a process where you remove all the, well, the sophisticated laboratory techniques that I was talking about at the Langham Estates. Which are there for a reason. I mean, presumably they're there so that it's preserved for decades, right? That's one of the reasons. I'll tell you what, should we try some? Please. So I got this from Borough Market. There's a, a wine shop in Borough Market, a guy called Richard. Right. And I was chatting to him about natural wines, and I asked him what his thoughts were. And he said, I wish I liked them more. But love how you're casually opening this bottle of wine with a Swiss army knife as you talk. I was in the scouts, I it's, it's the most masculine thing I think I've ever seen you do. But he said to me that he would like to like them more, but he can't because they're not consistent enough. And he finds some of them are so smelly they smell like off eggs. Sulfurous. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So nothing's been added to this. This is a natural. So bottle. what is this? What's the bottle? Vigna Almeida, 2017. I've offended many Spanish people now. Very Oy! nice noise. Yeah. Here you go. You go first. Right. Yes. Yes. Smells like wine. Actually, it does smell a bit ripe, doesn't it? Does it? I'm going to smell the bottle. Oh. Mm. If you've had a night out on red wine, yes. And the next morning you wake up, that's what you smell like. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I know exactly what you mean. Yeah. Rather like your sparkling wine tasted like the absence of sugar. Yes. This does taste like the absence of sulfites. It actually does. It's not that pleasant because it's really strong. Oh, yeah. I think if you went for a run and then drank a glass of that, you'd fall over. We can try that. We are segueing effortlessly into your challenge for next week, Ollie. With running. Yep. Oh, f- it's from... <laughs> wow, you sound enthused already. Oh, can't we just do another wine one? <laughs> this is from uh, Ashley in St Albans who says... What a prick. I'd like Ollie to investigate 
Which of the current crazy exercise fads is more worthwhile? Backwards running、mm-hmm. or bouncer size? I'm just going to put on the record right now. None of those are more worthwhile than anything. Drinking wine is probably the best thing you can do. In fact, I'm going, that's what I'm going to just do now. See you next week. Bye. Hello, man fans. My name is Ed, and I'm a photographer and video producer. And today I'm going to tell you some top tips on how to get the perfect selfie. Number one lighting. Try to use natural light where possible. Uh, try to take a shot near a window, perhaps. This is because it's diffuse and it won't cause hard shadows on your face, which tend to make you look like a Halloween goblin. Obviously, you want the light to be shining on your face, not behind you, but obviously, you don't look directly into the sun. That's because it will probably burn your eyes out and make you squint like a fool. Okay, number two, angles. Obviously, low angles aren't flattering. They tend to overemphasize、uh, that double chin you're probably trying to hide.、Uh, and they also give people a, a bit of an unflattening view of your nose.、Uh, likewise, super high angles tend not to be great either. They tend to make you look a bit smaller than you are, diminished. So the best bet is to try something that's mostly flat on.、Uh, try to get that camera at least an arm's length away from your face.、Um, but whatever you do, don't use a fucking selfie stick because you'll look like a fool. Okay, final tip number three posing. Genuine smiles here, they go a really long way. People can obviously spot a fake from a mile away. If you get into the whole pouting game, then you risk looking like a total twat, but obviously that depends entirely on the look you're going for. I recommend a really important tip of bringing a friend in, as that will make you look popular, which is really good if you're trying to make yourself. Look better than you are, or trying to make a, an ex jealous, or whatever. Just make sure it's a friend who is less attractive than you are. That's very important. And if you don't have any friends, take yourself down to a bus stop because these are really good places for getting stealth selfies with strangers. So you can find out more about me and the work I do by visiting my website, edprosser.com. And if you want to hire me or throw abuse at me, all my contact details are usefully listed on there. Thanks to Ed for his life hacks, sponsored by Podcast Lounge for Windows. Podcast Lounge is the new podcatcher for Windows 10 devices. It's an app where you can discover, subscribe, and enjoy podcasts. It features all your podcast favourites, including us, a spotlight where special guests recommend their favourites, that may include us, and a top 100 chart, which probably won't include us. Whatever your predilection, Podcast Lounge makes it easy to discover and subscribe to great new shows. What will you get up to in the lounge? Go to Windows 10 Store and download your free trial of Podcast Lounge now. Now, when you get bad news from the doctor or you're preparing yourself for a medical procedure, you may well feel anxious about how you'll tell your family and friends or indeed whether you'll tell them at all. But imagine if half a million strangers also expected to hear those details. How would you tell them then? Hannah Witten is a YouTuber who primarily makes videos about sex and relationships and has racked up 55 million views along the way. She made her first video when she was 19 years old. I was a massive fan of a bunch of YouTubers. So I watched loads of videos before I started making any. And I realized that they were all friends with each other. And there was like this online community. And I was like, I want to be friends with those people. They seem really cool.、Mm-hmm. But I didn't like the idea of talking about myself. Like, I did, I had, basically, I had no idea what I would talk about. And so the idea of cooking, which was something that I needed to learn how to do because I was about to go to university, I thought, oh, this is great. This is a thing I can do where the focus will be. And so I talk around that. So it's not just like me and a camera.、Mm-hmm. I remember trying to experiment with like, Editing right from the start. I set up the camera on the side of the kitchen whilst I was chopping and I sped all those bits up. And I filmed an intro in my bedroom and then I started talking in the kitchen and I did different angles. So I, I do remember like trying. It's still terrible, but I was trying. Can we take a like four bits of bread and put it in? Pour this in. Don't spill, don't spill. 
But presumably you uploaded the first couple of dozen and basically nothing happens, right? I mean, you're looking for the hit. Yeah. I don't know if it was about looking for a hit, but it was about being noticed by the community. And I would just make friends with people who had like channels the same size as mine, like with like 50, 100 subscribers or something. Because you have so few subscribers at the time. If someone comments on your, your video, that video's got like, what, three comments? So you're going to definitely have a look at those people mm. to see if they make videos too. So I've got friends who like measure success based on their views, not their subscriber count or measure success based on comments. So a friend of mine said, if the length of the comments is really long, like if the comments are all like essays, they're like, that was a good video. Because mm. it meant that it evoked a real response in people because they were like, here are all of my thoughts on this. Mm. And I like that. So how did your videos evolve then? Uh, cookery wasn't working, so then what? <laughs> I got more comfortable talking to a camera, even though those videos are still really cringy. And then somewhere along the line, it evolved into sex ed. Because I started to like, gain a bit more of an audience and I noticed that they were mostly all young women and sex ed was something that I was already really passionate about at least in the sense that like I knew my sex ed was bad so I was seeking out that information so I like watched Lacey Green videos and she's an American sex educator on YouTube and I was like I feel comfortable talking about this not many people do so I want to use my platform for good and so how many subscribers did you have when you started doing sex ed vids maybe about a thousand okay also so i mean your subscriber numbers now are off the charts right uh, yeah i'm almost at half a million that's extraordinary yeah, thank you. so what was the tipping point then i had like one video go viral in 2014 um it was called do i look like a slut <laughs> it got featured on upworthy why do we need to reassure ourselves that we don't look like sluts what is so bad about looking like a slut that you want to disassociate yourself from that. And what does a slut even look like? What is a slut? Does a slut look like this? This? Or this? How about this? Does wearing any of these outfits make me a slut? Because like businesses making videos, mm. if they suddenly saw one do that, would be like, right, every week, new video about being a slut. Mm. I mean, that's what they do, isn't it? I definitely didn't really have a business head on either. well I say that but actually I then did another video a few weeks later and I basically replicated the formula of that video so the idea was that it was like a little sketch at the beginning and then it was me talking about the topic and then it was me responding to people's comments on social media and I basically replicated that for another video which was about being ladylike and that did well it didn't go viral the same as that one but it was still like I didn't realize at the time, but I definitely clearly had thought, oh, that worked. I'm going to try and replicate that same formula for a different topic. And then it was back in December that you started talking about your illness. Yeah, well, because that, that's when it all kicked off. What happened? <laughs> so I have ulcerative colitis, which is a form of inflammatory bowel disease. And I've had it since I was seven. But I had a remission of 10 years. So between the age of 15 and 25, no symptoms. I was just like on medication and had regular hospital checkups and things and then in December I got seriously seriously ill admitted into hospital what were the symptoms abdominal pain uh frequent diarrhea and blood wow so I went into A&E like on boxing day I was like horrifically ill on Christmas day did just didn't eat anything and basically they were trying loads of different drugs and I wasn't really reacting to any of them and it got to the point where it was too dangerous to like wait and so I had to have emergency surgery what was the surgery? It was a total colectomy. So they took out my entire colon. This was the first flare-up I've ever had where they were even like, do you want to have a conversation with the surgeons? Like all of my previous flare-ups, the drugs kicked in before we even had to consider those conversations. So when the surgeons said, right, we have to have that conversation, mm. what was your thought? I was like, get this thing out of me. I was like, I don't want to live like this anymore. This is horrific. I'm in so much pain. I'm so ill. And then I slept. And was in pain. That was my life. So my stoma is called, it's an ileostomy. So there's lots of different types of ostomies. It depends on which part of your bowel. So yeah, because most people just know the word colostomy bowel. Yeah. That's a type of stoma, is it? Yeah. So a colostomy means that it's coming out of the colon. Mm -hmm. So I don't have a colon anymore. I've got an ileostomy because it's coming out of the ileum. So then the bag sticks to me and everything gets, goes, comes out into the bag. I imagine that, of course, your boyfriend is going to be supportive of mm -hmm. you having surgery that's going to make you, as you just said, feel much better, clearly dealing with something that made you ill. 
But was there a part of your head that thought, is he still going to want to be with me when I've got a bag? Yes. No, definitely. Like, I think I definitely have these, like, thoughts of, like, I'm so glad I am in a relationship because I have no idea what it would be like to date Mm. um, with a stoma. Like, that seems really stressful, but obviously, like, people do it. Because then there's the whole, when do I mention it? Exactly. Like, when you're in the Uber back to your house, like, by the way. Mm. But there's definitely been some, I guess, I don't want to call it tension. Like, it's never a big deal. Like, I don't even feel like it's a big enough deal to be spoken about but I imagine this is actually something that happens between a lot of couples where someone's got like a medical condition or an impairment or something especially when it's got to do with poo which is like super unsexy but he was really great so those stoma nurses they come to see you before your surgery to kind of like give you the lowdown on everything and answer all your questions and then post-surgery they come see you every morning and help you change your bag so you can like learn about it and again just like keep answering all of the questions that you have I get my notebook out and be like okay here is my list of questions what's a classic question oh I was like can I eat olives um, <laughs> why I mean why specifically that I love olives yeah why would you not be able to I mean, what other things you oh can't so eat? I, it's like sweet corn and stuff like that yeah yeah well <laughs> asked about the sweet corn thing because because we were asking about like I was like how long does food take to get from swallowing it to out the stoma bag and uh, my nurse was like oh it, you know like it really depends person to person and what you're eating um but she was like but you can test it by um eating one piece of sweet corn and timing it I can often like tell when food has come out because there's just certain things that I can't fully digest and so I see bits come out sometimes when i have like tesco pepperoni pizza it's orange Hmm. yeah it just turns everything orange Uh, this was a point about your boyfriend oh yeah so dan was like i've got some questions for the stoma nurse which i thought was like a really amazing like partner thing to be like i want to have a conversation with you and the stoma nurse so he could ask like how am i supposed to behave as a partner and like what are some good things for me to do and that was like him like him taking initiative but you've used the phrase super unsexy a couple of times now. <laughs> yeah. You've said poo is a super unsexy thing. Uh, yeah, for me, I guess. But how has it affected your sex life? More on a practical level than on an emotional level, really. Half of the bag is stuck to me with adhesive around the stoma. And then the rest of the bag that like collects is like dangling down. Mm-hmm. So that's just quite impractical. Um, so positions, basically. Yeah, for like certain positions or just it just getting in the way. The brand of bag that I have has got like another bit of Velcro so you can like fold the bag in half so it just like makes it smaller and the bit that's flapping around is like folded out of the way which is really handy and then also my favorite piece of problem solving has been crotchless underwear so like high-waisted crotchless underwear or like I don't know what they're called but like the full body lingerie pieces Mm -hmm. that are crotchless because then it just means that the bag is like secured secured down and you've still got access and your bits are still available exactly and like, you know, I, I always have to like empty it before sex. So spontaneity isn't like a thing that can really happen anymore. Yeah, sure, I have yeah. to like, but it's the same as like some people just need to go pee before they have sex. Um, yes, exactly. They'll go and freshen up. I mean, it's basically, yeah. but as you say, in a dating context, it'd be so much harder, wouldn't it? Yeah. Than with a long-term partner. And it always smells as well. That's the thing. <laughs> so, but, and would your partner pick that smell up? Do you think? When you empty it, it doesn't smell like. Exactly. But he's not with you when you're emptying it, right? No, but if I accidentally leave the bathroom door open for too long, (laughs) then he can smell it. But yeah, and then the other thing that was definitely a barrier for us at first was oral sex, just because like for him, it meant his face was very close to the bag. Yeah, I can see that. And that was something that we just kind of had to work around and like, not work around, but he had to kind of admit to me that that was a thing that he had like a mental barrier of. Sure. And... I like full on just like cried when he told me because I because I was so insecure about that and that like made me really upset. But then I can understand why he would feel weird about that. But and at then, the same and time, it's the same time, time you want to feel attractive. Ex- exactly. Yeah. And to be honest, exposure therapy works. <laughs> I mean, you know, yeah. I completely understand the mental block on thinking, okay, during oral sex, now my face is going to be close to the soma bag. I yeah. mean, in reality... Your face is close so to where close the poo hole, hole is anyway. Exactly. This was my point. Yeah. I was like, your face is already like it's already right to there. the butthole. Yeah. And yet people don't so. think about that. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Being very aware of how long it takes for your food to be digested mm-hmm. and yourself as a machine, do you think it's actually made you take a little bit more care of yourself? Not just for your own health, but just because you're much more aware of being that machine. 
No. No, I thought you were going to say no. I could sense you were going to say no. The only thing more recently, so I had that surgery in January. And then five months later in June, I had to have another surgery. But basically now I'm at a place where I feel like the strongest I've felt. And it's because I've started doing some ab exercises, some very light like post-abdominal surgery exercises and I feel kind of like annoyed at myself for not doing them sooner after the first surgery because I've constantly that this just this whole year just felt really fragile very nervous in big crowds very scared of other people bumping into me but literally just since doing these and actually seeing the results of that just over like a week or two has made me has like flipped a switch of like okay no i I need to stop putting off getting back to like fitness basically. So you did make a video after your surgery. Yeah. What was it? It was just an update. It was like the longest video I've ever made. Um, and it was just called, I spent four weeks in a hospital and it was just me talking just through everything that happened. Oh, this is weird. This is weird. How do I start this? Don't let the makeup deceive you. It makes me look a lot healthier than I actually am and feel. Here's what happened. You may or you may not have noticed, but I have not uploaded any videos in a while and there is good reason for that. I have spent the last four weeks... Was it important for you to share that with people who followed you? Because some people would say, no, that's where the line's drawn. Like what's going on in my stomach? That's not relevant to my YouTube audience that are interested in my sex tips. It would just have felt really weird if I'd have come back after that time people like knowing what I'd been through if they'd seen it on Twitter or something and then coming back and just being like top 10 masturbation tips or whatever and then people like what's happened to you for me like sharing all of that stuff has been part of my own healing process what did you think the reaction was going to be to that to be honest with the way that the YouTube landscape is I thought I've taken a month off making videos when normally I make a video once a week. I was like, this is the beginning of the end of my career. Like, it's not going to appear in sub boxes. People will have forgotten about me. This video is just going to bomb and then I'm going to have to find a new career. Um, but no, that's not what happened. The complete opposite happened because people are curious and they'll just click on that. Um, and if anything, having disappeared for a month makes them more curious. Yeah, it? I think so. And then the more that people click on it and the more that people watch also because it was a really long video so the watch time on it is really long then it means it gets suggested to more and more people so many people in my audience have stomas and then so many people who have stomas found my content and then i'd say further than that yeah so many people in your audience because so many people generally yeah actually have something about their body that they hate and by having someone come forward and take something that normally makes people vulnerable and is normally something that they hate about themselves mm. and say, I'm proud to share it and talk about it. That's what's inspirational about it. You don't need to have a stoma for that. A lot of people are scared of it as well. So um, someone who I watch on YouTube has ulcerative colitis and they commented on the video just saying, thank you so much because the idea of getting a stoma bag is, he said it's like his worst nightmare and it's what he's terrified of the most. And he said seeing my video made him less scared about that being a possibility. And I've had like messages from nurses saying that they now shown my videos to like patients mm. and, and stuff. How yeah. do you feel about your scar? I like the scar. The scar's cool. It makes my belly button a very weird shape. It's like a diagonal slit. And this is what's fascinating to me. Now a community of people on Instagram mm. with stomas. Yeah. Who share pictures of them. Yeah, I love it. That's super helped me. Normalizing it. Seeing other people thriving who have been through the same stuff as you or in the same situation as you. One of the most comforting things for me is being people telling me stories of like, oh, I've had my stoma for eight years. Oh, I've had my stoma for 20 years. And then seeing all of this amazing life stuff that they've done. Mm. And I'm like, life doesn't stop. It goes on and I can still do everything that I've wanted to do. Just had to slightly postpone some of it. But yeah, it's just really comforting. Like, I, I don't feel amazing about my stoma all the time. Like, I would rather not have one, like, obviously. But it is just, like, making the most of the situation that you're in. And I try to, like, milk as many benefits as well as I can possibly. Like, when I had to get a walking stick so I could, like, 
go outside and not fall over. I like got the snazziest walking stick possible. And then I got loads of compliments on my walking stick and I was like, why thank you. Like there is a surgery that I can get that would reverse it. You know, hearing lots of stories from people who have had that and like the reasons why they had that. Some people just like can't handle having a stoma bag and that's fine. And then they they choose to get it reversed. Other people don't have a choice. Right now where I'm at, I have the choice, but I just don't, I don't know yet. You did a photo shoot. Yeah. It's genuinely a sexy photo shoot. Yeah. (laughs) How did that happen? I tweeted as a joke or something like, oh, my, my new brand, like my new career is like Stoma Instagram model or something. And someone tweeted me back just being like, oh, I would love to see like a body confidence photo shoot with the Stoma. And a friend of mine, Linda Blacker, who's an amazing photographer, I just like tweeted being like, I'm game if you are and tagged her in it. And she was like, absolutely. Yeah, I love those photos. I feel like I look like a pre-Raphaelite. You're practically nude in them. Was uh, it was it more exposing than doing a YouTube video? It's hard to say because like there was like three people in that room, all three women who I know and feel comfortable around. Whilst you're doing it, it's really difficult for me to get into the mindset of like, oh, actually loads of people are going to see this. Because right at that, in that moment, it's just the, those people in that room. But I actually like recently was at this event called Summer in the City, which is like a YouTube convention. And I had a merch stall there and we were selling some of the prints from that photo shoot. (laughs) If I'd have been shown like a one second, like flash of my future and it was me signing photos of me in my underwear, Mm. I would like, wouldn't have believed you. Like people are going to have photos of me in in my underwear, like hanging up in their bedrooms. (laughs) But also it was very strange signing them. It was very strange. (laughs) It's also just thinking back to the beginning of this conversation mm. and your first YouTube videos. Yeah. You know, should I talk about cookery? Should I talk about <laughs> random stuff? Mm, sex and relationships, something I'm interested in. And then slowly over time, I evolve an audience in it. Mm-hmm. I feel like in a way this, even though, it, as you say, you'd much rather it never happened. Mm. This is your thing. This is authentic, isn't it? Yeah, 100%. And I, I've had this exact same thought process. For me, it's just like a... a a silver lining Mm. I guess basically off the back of this whole idea of like this really shit thing happened to me it's kind of beneficial for my career in a way at least at least for now is I'm not sure about long term but at least for now like any videos that I do about stomas like do really well because people are so curious it's a poo disease and I love talking about taboo topics it like it's just like sex and poo (laughs) is is my thing now apparently in a way that it never would have been 20 years ago Uh uh-huh if you're someone who talked about racy things to young people 20 years ago mm. and then you got a stoma bag, that was your career over. You would not be... I mean, not... Oh, you think? You wouldn't You wouldn't be talking about it. Oh, yeah. It would be a disadvantage to be the person. You'd, you'd do one story in the Sunday Times about it and then you'd and never then that, be asked yeah. about it again because yeah. who wants to talk about that? People ask me about it constantly. Well, the internet shows that there is an audience who want to know yeah. about it. And people were so curious that I just like ended up being like... Because people were just like, I still don't understand what a stoma is. What is that? So I was like, fine. And just did a video where I was like, here it is. <laughs> and like just showed it. I was like, this is my stoma. Luckily, she was like very well behaved whilst that. So there was like nothing coming out during... <laughs> whilst I was filming. She? Oh yeah, she. Her name is Mona. A lot of the nurses said that patients like find it so much easier to like adjust to the new life if they name it. Hmm. It's like having a pet. That's how I think of it. Like, I can sometimes hear and feel her working. It's like having a pet attached to you at all times. But yeah, at this event, people would come up to me and be like, how's Mona? And I just really like that. Hannah Witten. And you can find links to her videos, her blog, her book, and that photo shoot at hannahwitten.com. Oh, and she's got a podcast too. It's called Banging Book Club. Still to come our record of the week and Alex Fox is up next after this let's talk sexy sexy fucky sex it's the foxhole with Alex Foxy Fox how are you doing I'm great thanks Ollie I'm here and ready to talk about fapping and flapping and male milky sapping Uh, what have you been up to this week I've been checking out a brand new sex toy startup that has just recently reached its goal on Kickstarter called Fine Bone. 
and their products are made out of porcelain. So are they uh, masturbatory devices? They are. And I think a lot of people are confused by China and porcelain sex toys. They don't really know what to do with them because we imagine China to be something that's quite delicate and breakable, right? Mm. But when it's manufactured in a certain way and fired in a kiln in a certain way, it can actually be quite resistant and quite uh, quite hard wearing but I'm particularly interested in this toy not only because the company is very ethical and quite ecologically sound but also because they work with uh, porcelain manufacturers in Stoke-on-Trent. Ah, they're supporting the potteries. Exactly. Excellent. Uh, Time for our listener question supported as ever by our friends at mycondom.com. Remind us Alex of their excellent service. Well I figured Ollie that I'm always banging on about how banging their banging supplies are so I check out some reviews on Google and trust pilot and see what other people are saying folks have uh, praised the speedy delivery the fact they're discreet on the bank statements uh, lots of people saying that they like the idea that you can try out single condoms mm. before needing to buy a whole pack but i think my favorite of all the recent reviews is the one that just says i ordered condoms condoms were delivered to my house can't say fairer than that <laughs> this week's question is from chris x who says I'm 24 years old and have always had a tight foreskin. In the past, following particularly rough sex, I've developed small cuts to my foreskin, which are irritating and sore, but generally clear up after a couple of days. Since I've been with my new partner for the past six months or so, I've noticed the cuts seem to be occurring more often. And recently, I got several very bad cuts, which required me to take antibiotics and use steroid cream from the doctor. So, Alex, do you have any tips for men who suffer with a tight foreskin? The information I found online suggests to use condoms and lube, which we always do. So I was wondering if Alex has anything else to keep my tip tip top. Let's tackle the idea of cuts on the foreskin because I think Chris is right Uh, if his foreskin has always been quite tight then that's probably what's going to be causing the problem here but if any other listeners are uh, pricking up their ears because their pricks too have cuts on them it might not be your foreskin tightness that's a problem it could also be uh, another issue that's broadly called balanitis Mm -hmm. uh, which is general skin irritation to the head of the penis and or the foreskin it can just be down to poor hygiene Uh, reaction to detergent or shower gels Uh, it can be indicative of thrush or a bacterial infection it might be an STI or if you're just fiddling with your foreskin a lot Uh, some children get balanitis because they're just so obsessed with sticking their hand down their pants and twiddling and fiddling with what they've got there that they actually do make it sore so if you're experiencing this problem as ever take your PP to the GP and just get them to check it out before you self-diagnose In Chris's case, though, he's saying he's always had a tight foreskin. So let's let's have a look at that. Let's not. (laughs) (laughs) Let's imagine it. The official name for an overly tight foreskin is phimosis, spelt Mm P-H-I-M-O-S-I-S. And this is characterised by the foreskin being so tight that it can't usually be easily pulled entirely back over the glands, over the over the head of the penis. And that's kind of, I and mean, when he says he's always had a tight foreskin, I imagine as a child, you know, unless it's so tight it's preventing you urinate, that's not really a problem. The problem is only during sexual intercourse, isn't it? Well, most baby boys do have a foreskin that won't fully retract. It's usual for it to, to be uh, adhered or to be hanging down lower between the first two and six years of their lives. Mm. Around the age of two or three, so toddler age, boys' foreskins start to be able to retract. If you are the parent of a child and you're worried that your your little boy's foreskin isn't pulling back, do not try and force it. Go and get a professional opinion. But it is totally normal that some little boy's foreskins don't retract until the age of around six. But yeah, for some guys, they find that it's not really a big problem. They've got a tight foreskin. But it's just a quirk of their jerking apparatus, if you And will. actually, I suppose in a way, that's the complexity of this decision, isn't it? Because to me, it seems like the, the very obvious option if condoms on lube aren't doing enough for you is circumcision. And yet, as an uncircumcised man, you're thinking, well, I'm getting pleasure from my foreskin, even though it's cut and bleeding afterwards. It's trying to weigh up those two possibilities, isn't it? You're not going to know what sex is like as a circumcised man until you haven't got it anymore. Well, you'd be glad to know, Ollie, that either circumcision or putting up with the pain of a cut and splitting foreskin 
those are not the only two options on the table here. Chris has. It is interesting, I think, that he's said that this is starting to happen more often now. That could be for a variety of reasons. I mean, if he's having more sex with his partner and there's more friction, then that might be putting more strain on his type 4 skin. Or different kind of sex, even. Yeah, exactly. Certain positions or just the way that two people's bodies happen to fit together. Mm. You know, everybody's jiggly bits and wiggly bits are, are built differently. Some people go together like a jigsaw puzzle. Uh, other people go together like a saw puzzle. It is also possible that he might have an, an additional infection here. If he's got a slight cut, tear or abrasion in his foreskin, then that additional soreness might be caused if bacteria have got in there or if it hasn't healed up very well and then you know it's getting sore when he washes or sore when he pees. So again, it's best to just double check with your GP that there isn't a second additional problem here. Um, but this leads us quite neatly onto Chris's treatment options or the options for anyone who feels that their foreskin is too tight to bring them delight. Chris has said that online, the advice he was given was use condoms and lube. For low-level issues of phimosis, this can be a good way of treating them. Essentially, what a condom does is help to keep your foreskin in a comfortable position. It will re- it will uh, reduce some of the movement that naturally happens during sex. Uh, do make sure that you're using a condom that doesn't irritate you. It might be worth trying a non-latex variety uh, and opt for really mild lubricant as well. Okay, but aside from condoms and lubes, what options are available to Chris? Well, while I promised you that full circumcision is only one option, you can actually have a partial circumcision or doctors can make a little cut and stretch the foreskin without needing to remove it entirely. Best so, of both worlds. <laughs> <laughs> I can understand that for a lot of men, especially in adulthood when circumcision is more of a big deal than in childhood when you tend to heal very quickly, that this operation is weighed down with trepidation. It's Mm. not something that a lot of people look forward to. But if it's going to remove long-term pain, then it's worth considering as as one of the things that that might help you. And presumably it's a local anaesthetic. It's over fairly quickly, right? I mean, it is just basically snip-snip, isn't it? It's just painful and it takes a while to recover from. It depends on the individual and exactly what kind of surgery is being done. Some of the surgeries include prepucioplasty, which is in, this is a procedure that involves cutting and stretching the foreskin. Not everyone finds that it feels exactly the same way afterwards, but it does leave you with some foreskin. Another approach is a frenuloplasty. Uh, This involves the surgical cutting of the foreskin on the underside of the penis. So it again loosens it enough to make it retractable. Surgery doesn't have to involve lopping the whole lot off. But an option that Chris might not have thought of at all is stretching. You can actually do over a long period of time, requires commitment, stretching exercises and loosen your foreskin yourself. I imagine this isn't a class you can sign up to at your local gym. No one has done... uh, No one's done the workout video. No one's done phallic yoga yoga for your... uh, That's a DVD I'd buy. Jeff Brazier's (laughs) foreskin workout. There is an opening in the market there, (laughs) waiting for someone to fill it. Finally, an aerobics concept I approve of. You can find (laughs) instructions online, though, or your GP should be able to help you out here. Basically, these exercises involve primarily using your hands, although you can buy gadgets and gizmos, which I'll progress onto in a second, to do things like pull your foreskin forward to the side, maybe sometimes when your penis is erect, sometimes when it's flaccid. You usually need to hold it in place for about 30 to 40 seconds, then release and repeat. You'll need to do this daily, and you have to be very patient. This isn't something that's going to have overnight results. Most Most people say, though, that they can start to see a difference after a few months to a year. Mm -hmm. There are things that you can do to make the stretching process easier. Your GP may be able to prescribe topical steroids. And what they will do uh, is that if you apply them to the end of the penis, they're usually in cream, gel or ointment form, uh, then they'll help soften the skin of the foreskin. So they'll make it easier to retract. There are some that you can get from the pharmacy just over the counter if you're willing to explain your issue to your pharmacist. But I'd always say pop to your doctor first and just get a specialised customer opinion on your junk before you start rubbing things into it. And you did uh, mention the idea of gadgets and gizmos. Um, I don't know why we haven't suggested this as a challenge for Ollie Pitt, but anyway, (laughs) (laughs) what's on the market? There is a device called the Novo Glan. It's a gadget that 
uh, use as a kind of little poker to insert a balloon under your foreskin, so between the glands and the foreskin. You slip the balloon in there whilst it's deflated and then use the device to very gently fill it with air to stretch your foreskin. You leave the balloon in place for a short period of time. I was going to say, you'd have to wear it to work. <laughs> no, no, no. It'd be don't... a weird sensation. <laughs> Probably be a weird look in your trousers <laughs> if you're wearing tight capri pants as well. And then, yeah, you then deflate the balloon and take it out. Mm-hmm. Again, you are looking at not overnight results. This is going to take uh, months, if not years. Uh, there's another device as well called the Glanzy. This one looks a little bit intimidating. It's kind of like tiny forceps, which, again, you insert into the end of the foreskin, then squeeze on those to open them up. I mean, I'm about to compare it to scissors, but that's probably not a very good comparison because scissors are sharp and terrifying. <laughs> but it works in much the same kind of way to stretch out the foreskin. It really depends on the individual build of your body. Some guys will find that their foreskin at the end is more tight. It's the opening that's the problem. For others, it's further down the shaft that the issue is occurring. Um, Lots of people who are doing these stretching exercises find it more comfy and easier to do them when they're in the shower or the bath because the water has naturally softened the skin there. Uh, And also, rather than using soap, you might find it helpful to use an emollient cream, something like E45, to wash with. Thank you, Alex. And if you have a question of sex for Alex Fox for next week's show, what should you do with it? Sproying and boying yourself over to our website, which is modernmanwith2ends.co.uk, and hit feedback. You don't need to give me your name, and there is no shame. And whether you have a foreskin or you are uh, circumcised or you have no penis at all, there will be something for you to enjoy at mycondom.com. Who've given us a very useful code, foxhole, F-O-X-H-O-L-E, to get you 15% off everything on their site. Well, that is nearly it for this week's Modern Man, but there is just time to appoint a new ambassador. It is Steve in Ireland who says, Ollie, I began listening in October and find your blend of stories, funny bits and jiggly bits to be a real tonic. Keep up the great work and enjoy the 12 months worth of beer money I've just donated. If you haven't already got a ambassador for County Meath, I would be humbled and honoured to take on the job and will rule with an iron fist, which I suspect is a toy that Alex owns. Uh, Steve, thank you. I now pronounce you Manbassador for County Meath. Congratulations. Uh, Music now and our theme is by Django Django. It's called Skies Over Cairo. Go stream it now. And our record of the week is this by Garen Sean. It's called Call Failed and it's out now. I've been Ollie Mann, the producer Matt Hill, and for our season finale, we'll see you next Tuesday. So, retrospectors, what historical events are we ticking off on this week's run of Today in History? Well, on Tuesday, we head to the battlefields of medieval Spain to witness the very first ambulance. On Wednesday, it's the anniversary of the day Coca-Cola's creator hit on his winning formula. He dropped the wine, but kept the cocaine. On Thursday, the thief who stuffed the crown jewels down his trousers. And on Friday, when free-spirited Danish parenting put 90s New York in a tears. We discuss this and more on Today in History with the Retrospectors. Ten minutes every weekday, wherever you get your podcasts.